0: Cities brace for a flood of migrants after Title 42 expires. That means more Democrats, more the house. They sold this country out for
2: future political power.
0: A California reparations panel approves payments to Black residents, and their recommendations now head to that state. Legislature.
3: They don't care whether or not their money is there. What they want is for black people to pull that lever for Democrats. The Fed warns of a coming credit
0: crunch amid some banking turmoil.
1: In a way, you do not land the plane nose
0: down. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, May 9th. I'm Mike Scott. The country is bracing for the end of Title 42, a Trump administration-era health mandate that allowed the Border Patrol to expel illegal immigrants from the U.S. As such, President Joe Biden is on the receiving end of bipartisan criticism for what lawmakers believe to be the White House's lack of a plan to deal with the anticipated surge.
2: Right now, thousands of migrants trying
0: to cross the border, and those numbers only expected to grow exponentially. In the last 72 hours alone, over 26,000 migrants were apprehended at the border by law enforcement, and nearly 7,500 migrants got away. So for some perspective here, that's about 8,700 apprehensions a day, which is up 40 percent from the daily average just in March. And with just three days left until pandemic border restrictions are lifted, the nation is now bracing for a potentially unprecedented surge. Oscar Leesman is the mayor of El Paso, Texas. And he explains the sheer numbers that his city is seeing.
4: The numbers we see today on the streets is about 2,500 in front of Sacred Heart Church and then probably another eight or 900 at the Opportunity Center. And when I went over and traveled into Mexico last week, uh, we were able to confirm roughly that there's about 10 to 12,000 people at the border waiting for Title 42 to expire and another 3,500 coming right behind there. So, and, you know, they're all under the, uh, the assumption that uh, once Title 42 does expire, they'll all be allowed to come into the United States and get political asylum.
0: Leesman explains what he saw when he went across the border to inspect the migrant facilities in Mexico,
4: we went to some of the uh, shelters, and the shelters were empty. And that was something that was really interesting to us. The second largest shelter in Waters had only 20 people in there. And when I asked why, the reason is that they want to be able to be at the border and not miss that opportunity to come into the U.S. prior to Title 42 expiring.
0: The border crisis has become a bipartisan issue now with many border state Democrats becoming vocal about how the communities they represent are unequipped to deal with the expected surge. Tom Holman is former acting director of ICE and joined the Salem Radio Network to discuss the ongoing border crisis.
2: This administration does not have a solid plan. No, they want to release everybody, but there's no plan to release them apply many to the city their choice of taxpayer dime, but many are just released to the streets. In Brownsville, the the shelters are already overrun. They're already full. So, El Paso, Brownsville, and Laredo and, and Rio Grande Valley, McAllen, you know, the streets are overrun. These people have, you know, they're just walking the streets, and and it, tragedy, tragedies like this are can continue to happen. And this is something no one talks about. You and I talked about it. Yeah. But, you know, since Joe Biden's been president, there's well over 1,700 migrants have died uh, uh, on US, across the border, on U.S. soil. Yeah. It's not, that's not even counting the 53 that suffocated death in the back of the tractor trailer and, in San Antonio because that's not really called a border death. But, and that's what we know about.
0: Holman says that while he was the director at ICE, many of the illegal migrants coming across the border had criminal backgrounds.
2: If you need to understand, Border Patrol last year arrested out of all the people they arrested, eighty-seven thousand had criminal histories. Uh, over a hundred of them were convicted of murder. So you know these are people that they got caught, and they obviously don't want to get caught because they know they're going to be fingerprinted, and, and if you know if you had a record for murder, you're most likely not going to be released. So you can imagine we got over one point seven more. Than 1.7 million. That's what we know about, right? That's what's caught on video or or or, or sensor traffic or, mm-hmm. or, or or drone traffic and is recorded. They, they actually visualized them. We don't know what came across that we don't know about because many parts of the border, especially like in the Big Bend sector, uh, they don't have technology. As if the crisis
0: at the border wasn't bad enough, Holman says many border facilities are so overwhelmed. They can't even check for sickness.
2: And when I was ICE director, I think I told you this once before, when I was ICE director, we actually arrested a, a, a person who had TB. It was a strain of TB that was unrecognizable. Oh our our, our health officials at ICE had never seen it. They wow. contacted the Texas uh, uh, Department of Health. We yeah. contacted the CDC. Yeah. And we had to come up with some sort of cocktail to treat this guy. We kept him in custody like eight months until we came up with some sort of cocktail. That would, that would attack this TB. Now imagine if he would have gotten to the school system.
0: The former ICE director explains what he believes is the reason why the White House has yet to secure the border.
2: So their plan is let the people in, and yeah. they'll never leave. And people say, why are you doing this, Tom? Well, for Trump reasons. You know, I think many of them think they're going to be future Democratic voters. We'll see. But I think you only have to get there. Because Joe Biden, when he, when he got rid of all our Trump plans we created, that created the most secure border I've ever had, he also signed an order that overturned the Trump census rule, which means millions of people— I'll be counted the next census in Sanctuary City. What's that mean? That means you reproportionate the seats in the House. Mm. That means more Democrats get more seats in the House. They sold this country out for future political power. Homeland
0: Security and other secretaries in the Biden administration are downplaying the predictions of a border surge, saying the agency has had more than a year to prepare for the end of Title 42. President Biden and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg are pushing for airline passengers to be compensated if they're stranded for reasons other than the weather. It's the latest effort from the White House to force changes to the flying experience in the face of widespread consumer dissatisfaction. President Biden says it is his opinion that airlines have to pay for delays
2: or cancellations that are their own fault. If your flight is very delayed or canceled, and the airline could have prevented that from, you deserve more than just being getting the price of your ticket. You deserve to be fully compensated. Your time matters. The impact on your life matters. Biden goes on to say that airlines simply must do better. The airline industry is a key part of our economy. And they've been critical partners in a number of important initiatives from requiring employees to get COVID vaccines and the supply chain problems over the last couple years. But I know how frustrated many of you are with the service you get from your U.S. airlines. Especially after you, the American taxpayer, stepped up in 2020, the last administration, in the early days of the pandemic to provide nearly $50 billion in assistance to keep the airline industry and its employees afloat.
0: Many airlines already offer refunds, hotel rooms and meals, but federal officials want the carriers to go further. Another benchmark has been cleared by the California Reparations Task Force, as it has approved the recommendations from other committees that could result in billions of dollars in restitution to black Californians
1: the task force has been focusing on the lingering negative effects of slavery for African-Americans and detailing historical discrimination in areas such as housing, voting rights, policing, and education. African-Americans living in California with an ancestor or ancestors tied to save slavery could receive cash payments. There are roughly 1.8 million Californians that identify as African-Americans. Panelists say the time is now. So according to the task force's report, an African-American over the age of 71 could receive up to $1.2 million. That amount is based on health harms, mass incarceration, uh, and housing discrimination against black people, uh, as well as other factors. The final report will include 95 recommendations for determining what reparations could look like in the future. And again, these are recommendations that will go uh, before the California legislature. Uh, That would happen July 1st, Um, but that final report won't be complete until then. Once that happens, we'll get more information as to what happens next.
0: However, it may not be smooth sailing. Activists still need to persuade fellow Californians to get behind the most expensive reparations plan for black Americans proposed by a government body. And that will not be an easy task. According to a 2021 Washington Post poll, 65 percent... Of Americans are opposed to paying cash reparations to the descendants of enslaved black Americans. Dr. Cheryl Grills is part of the California Reparations Task Force and says while the task force has crossed an important step, work still needs to be done.
3: Um, and I think at the end of the day, what we have to do is to make sure that we recognize. The severity of what was done, the price tag that that brought, and now therefore the debt that the state of California owes to black people, to African Americans. Um, I I don't want us to do a full stop because the mechanisms for payment have not yet been um, figured out.
0: Larry Elder is a former Salem radio host and current 2024 presidential contender and he says that california simply can't afford reparations without taxing other minorities in the state
3: uh, i ran for governor i'm familiar with the state budget it is 300 billion dollars this would be $600 billion, give or take, twice what the state budget is. Uh, there is a $20 billion deficit, and there's a $1.5 trillion, T as in Tyrannosaurus, $1.5 trillion unfunded pension liability. From where is the money going to come? They're going to have to tax people. And by the way, most people in California aren't even white. They're people of color, even if you accept the premise here. Now, reparations is the fraction of money from people who are never slave owners to be given to people who were never slaves. And California was admitted as a free state. So what the task force says is, doesn't matter, it's about mass incarceration, redlining, and over-policing. That literally explains the racial gap. Really?
0: Elder explains that while there are many minorities in the U.S. who have been discriminated against in the past, what activists should focus on is the fatherlessness epidemic.
3: Uh, how do you explain and the fact that Japanese-Americans have a higher uh, household income than whites do, even though in California there were laws that forbade Japanese from owning farmland? How do you explain the fact that Chinese-Americans have a higher... Uh, household income than do white Americans when there were laws in the Bay Area that forbade uh, Chinese from participating in the laundry business. There are lots of people who were discriminated against. You want to you want to uh, uh, assign the, the, the racial gap to all of that stuff. The real gap, Rachel, that they don't talk about, is a fatherlessness gap. Uh, when I was a kid, virtually every one of my friends had a mother and a father in the home. Now that is rare. Seventy percent of black kids now enter the world without a father in the home, marriage of the mother. You cannot tell me that there's more racism today than it was back in 1952 when I was born.
0: The 2024 presidential hopeful believes that the move is simply buying the votes of black Americans.
3: It says that you are a victim and this is all about buying votes. They don't care whether or not their money is there. What they want is for black people to pull that lever for Democrats light living because after all, Democrats are more likely to support reparations uh, than Republicans. One more thing, one more discrepancy, 75 percent, Rachel, of uh, black boys in California cannot read at, at grade proficiency. Eighty-five percent of blacks in California cannot do math at grade proficiency, even though we're spending more money K-12 through 12 than ever before. We ought to be talking about those kinds of racial dis- disparities, but they're not.
0: Meanwhile, California isn't the only state that has begun experimenting with reparations. Evanston, a Chicago suburb, launched America's first government-funded reparations program for black Americans by using the tax money from recreational marijuana to pay black residents. Still, the program has had mixed results. While some proponents have called it a potential model, others say the program is too small and hasn't moved quickly enough. Disney has amended its free speech lawsuit against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We get the latest on the feud between the House of Mouse and Ron DeSantis from our Daybreak Insider correspondent. Mike Hempen. The amended complaint adds in recent developments since the entertainment giant first sued DeSantis and an oversight board for Disney World nearly two weeks ago. It references legislation passed last week by Florida lawmakers that rescinds agreements that Disney and a previous oversight board consisting of Disney
3: supporters
0: made earlier this year. Those agreements would have given Disney control over design and construction at Disney World. The amended lawsuit says Disney is the only company affected by the new legislation. Disney and DeSantis have been engaged in a tug-of-war for more than a year. I'm Mike Hempin. According to the Federal Reserve, Americans may start to see a credit crunch as many lenders announce that they intend to tighten lending standards due to concerns about loan losses. Chicago Federal Reserve President Austin Goolsbee says that not only is he seeing the start of the credit crunch, but he also anticipates a recession. The credit crunch, or at least a credit squeeze, is beginning. I think you have
1: to say that recession is a possibility. You got a lot of major forecasters forecasting a mild recession already for the second half of the year. So I, I think that, that that's that's got to be on everyone's mind. And in a way, you do not land the plane nose down.
0: David Bonson, the CIO of the Bonson Group, a wealth management firm, joined the Salem Radio Network and says that the banking issues we're seeing in the economy are being driven by interest rates, which is unheard of.
5: It's actually unprecedented, and I don't think we're capturing the historical moment of banks failing with no credit impairment. You've had tons of financial panics, financial issues over the years. We all know the 2008 one. But at every moment, the savings and loan crisis in the late 80s, early 90s, there were people not paying money back that caused banks to have problems. And then you add the leverage and all the other things, it spirals and it can happen in a levered financial system. That's what a financial panic is. There's nothing like that going on right now. It's entirely driven around the interest rate issues and deposit levels, liquidity, it's not solvency. And so it's very unique. And yet it's real. It's a real problem.
0: However, Bonson does believe that overall, the banking sector is very sound and explains why.
5: I am confident that the primary elements of the banking system are solvent. Even First Republic went under with more assets than liabilities. So, well, how does a bank go under if it has more assets than liabilities? Because they have to start borrowing from the Fed against their good assets for liquidity, and they're paying the Fed more than they're receiving in interest from the money they lent out. They gave all these rich people like me loans at 2%, and they're having to pay the Fed 5%. You can't do that for very long, and America does not tolerate zombie banks the way they did in Japan, for example, for 20 years.
0: When it comes to comparing what we're seeing now with the banking crisis of 2008, Bonson believes the two are completely different.
5: Not even close. And the reason is what I just said about solvency versus liquidity, that these banks have more assets than liabilities by far. And that keep in mind, they, people needed to get out of the whole financial system in 08. It wasn't like you could go, oh, well, Lehman is bad. Let's go to Bear Stearns or let's go to Merrill Lynch. They were all going down. In this case, you've had hundreds of billions come out of regional banks to go to J.P. Morgan, to go to Wells Fargo or Citi. I don't think that's a good thing Hugh. but what you have is regional banks getting weaker and big banks getting bigger. I thought Dodd-Frank was passed to avoid that.
0: The Fed also warned of weaknesses in the commercial real estate sector and stated that it would be monitoring the performance of commercial real estate loans more closely. Railroad engineers, the men and women who drive the trains, remain frustrated with the railroads. Daybreak Insider's Jason Walker gives us an update on the ongoing negotiations between railway companies and the railway unions.
4: A primary stumbling block is paid sick time. That and concerns about demanding schedules took center stage during last fall's contract talks. Now, several railroads have made deals this year to give some of their workers sick time. But the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen saying the railroads are still asking too much in return for giving sick time, adding most railroads still want to penalize workers if they do take sick time. Jason Walker reporting. (laughs)
0: According to a new report released by the CDC, loneliness in the U.S. has hit all-time highs and has the potential to add health risks that can be deadly as smoking a dozen cigarettes a day. Research shows that the number of single households has doubled over the last 60 years and that those Americans who do not attend some sort of religious service each week engage in some sort of community outreach or simply do not head to the movies with friends are more likely to experience health debilitating loneliness. The report goes on to show that the crisis worsened during the COVID-19 pandemic, which prompted schools and workplaces to shut their doors and send millions of Americans to isolate at home away from relatives or friends. Even talk show host Dr. Phil has been breaking down
4: the staggering numbers. And here are some troubling statistics. In a 2020 survey on loneliness, it was found that an increasing correlation existed between social media usage and the feelings of loneliness. 71% of people reported feelings of loneliness, up from 53% in 2019. Another study found that young people express a statistically significant greater degree of loneliness after conversations on the internet.
0: U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy says the CDC report shows that loneliness can impact
6: your physical health. We're used to thinking about smoking and obesity as clear public health concerns. So you're saying loneliness is comparable To smoking in terms of the detriment to your health? Yeah, in terms of the risk that it poses for premature death, yes. When you struggle with loneliness, when you're socially disconnected, it increases your risk of depression and anxiety and suicide, but it also increases your risk of physical illness as well.
0: Murthy suggests that we all start to focus on rebuilding our in-person relationships.
6: What we need to do is actually rebuild social infrastructure in our country. It's been decades in the making, but it's also something that I'm confident that we can address if we put our mind to it and if we act together.
0: Technology has rapidly exacerbated the loneliness problem, with one study cited in the report finding that people who use social media for two hours or more daily were more than twice as likely to report feeling socially isolated than those who are on such apps for less than 30 minutes a day. This gentleman agrees that social media was at least a big part of the reason that he
6: was lonely. I feel personally that it's it's hurt us. And the reason why is because I'm older, I'm 54. What I found was the darker things got for me, the less I would hear from my supposed friends on Facebook and uh, and things like that. I've since, in the past year and a half, I've cut out uh, 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 all my social media, except for Instagram. And I've got to tell you, I do not feel that loneliness anymore.
0: Murthy suggests that technology companies roll out more protections for children, especially around their social media behavior.
6: In-person matters. You know, uh, connecting online has its place, has its value, but it's not a substitute for in-person connection. We really do need both.
0: Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com.